Hi, and thanks for listening to the Wise Women in Sport podcast. Just a warning that this episode does include discussion around eating disorders. Hi, I'm Emily, and this is my very first episode of my very first series of the Wise Women in Sport podcast. Today, I'm having a conversation with someone who I'm a huge fan of and has got such an interesting story to tell. So let's crack on, and here it is. Here's the podcast. Welcome to the Wise Women in Sport podcast, the podcast where I delve into the lives of female athletes and sportswomen and discuss how they train and compete around their menstrual cycles, contraception and menopause. Today, I'm speaking with endurance athlete Mimi Anderson. Mimi is an endurance athlete and multiple Guinness World Record holder who began running as a mother of three, age 36. Mimi found ultra running and took on some of the biggest and most extreme running challenges in the world winning and setting many course records. She set two world records for running the length of Britain and then Ireland and became known for her doubles. That is completing an incredibly tough race, crossing the finish, turning around and running back again. Four years ago, after an injury stopped her ultra distance running, Mimi moved into endurance cycling and has already cycled across Britain and the Pacific Coast Highway in the US. Mimi, welcome to my podcast. Hi, nice nice to be here. Um, we first met a few years ago now when I approached you for coaching, um, yeah. which was fantastic. It was my, it was actually my first experience of having a coach um, and having someone so, so experienced as you was just fantastic for me. Um, and I think definitely helped me um, finish. I think it was my second hundred mile race, uh, but a yeah. really, really tough challenge. So um, I'm ever so thankful for you getting me through that <laughs> all those years ago. Um, and actually, you were the first person I wanted to speak to with this podcast, because I just thought you were the perfect, you know, uh, person to speak to. You've got so much, um, so much to tell, so much history um, in your running. Um, oh, and, no, thank you. And such, I, I know uh, from speaking to so many other ultra runners, such an inspirational woman to so many of us. So I'm really, really grateful that you agreed to come on and talk to me. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. That's lovely, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first question I'm going to ask everybody on this podcast is, do you remember when and where you were when you got your first period and how was that experience for you? Oh, yes, I remember mine very well. Uh, my mother actually had had um, talked about periods and things, but I was about eight and a half, so I sort of knew all about them. Um, but I was at boarding school, aged 10, and I remember I was in a dorm of three, I think, and I woke up um, in the middle of the night with the most excruciating stomach pains. I mean, I've ne- I'd never had anything like it before and couldn't go to sleep. Anyway, eventually um, I must have gone to sleep, and I woke up in the morning and I had no stomach ache. So I thought, oh, you know, it must have been, I don't know, I'd eaten something or something. And I remember going to the window in, in the room and one of my um, the girls in the room said, Mimi, your nightdress is covered in blood. Oh, no. And I was literally sort of, well, it was sort of, I was saturated and as was my bedding. So I went down to the housemistress, this is before breakfast, and um, and I said, you know, my period has started. And she made me feel absolutely disgusting. I had to go upstairs. I had to strip my bed. 
I had to wash my bed, my bedding and my nightdress and I wasn't allowed to have breakfast until that was done. Oh no, that sounds yeah. awful. I know, horrible. I mean, you wouldn't, you just, yeah, just the worst way to get a period. And then I was sent to school with um, these sanitary towels, which, because bear in mind, I'm quite an old fart now, but, you know, these sanitary towels that you had um, attached to uh, a belt that went around your waist. Oh, right. And, and they were massive. I mean, absolutely massive. And they were sort of verging on nappies. <laughs> and so, you know, you go to school age 10, 10 with those and you feel so self-conscious. Yeah, it was yeah. horrible. Absolutely horrible. And also being at boarding school as well and not being around, you know, your mum or, or I know you've got a sister, um, not being around them to kind of lean on and, and talk about it with must have just been awful. Yeah, I think that bit I didn't mind because I'd sort of been prepared. You know, mum was actually, she was very good. But I think it was just the way that I was treated. I wasn't, you know, usually housemistresses and things are fantastic. You know, they put your arm around your shoulder and, you know, they give you, they look after you. That's what you're there for. But to make me feel as if what I, what was happening to me was completely disgusting, mm. Um yeah, no, that wasn't very nice. I mean, my friends were great, but I felt very, um, very self-conscious. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't think, to be honest, that really changes. I mean, for me, I would have got my first period, I don't know, 20 years ago. And um, yeah, I felt exactly the same. And I, I would think, imagine that teenage girls do now as well. It's just so unusual. It's so such a weird feeling, that first one, and putting sanitary towels in and thinking oh god can anybody see anything and I've spoken to some of my uh, girlfriends from school and we all we all agreed that we always used to get up from the chair and look down and go oh is there any yes. marks on the chair or on the back of my trout can anyone see anything and it was just awful um, yeah. and I think I don't think that changes at all no I don't think it does and I think you know you're constantly worried aren't you that uh, you know the blood's coming through your clothes and yeah. you know I mean I remember when my daughter um, started her period I mean she was much more sort of laid back about it obviously because she was at home and and it was all right but I think even for her it's just you know you, you've just got that constant worry that um, mm-hmm. you're going to start leaking or people are going to know that you've got your period or you know so yeah it's not very nice. <laughs> and as a teenager in school, um, what was the situation with PE um, or taking part in sport when you had your period at, at school? Um, as far as I remember, it was um, it was just normal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we had a period, we, we sort of continued. I mean, I used to get quite bad stomach pains, um, yeah. but I don't remember ever having time off from my sport because of it. So yeah. I think we were just it was just presumed that we would continue. I mean, I do remember again, sort of, because I was quite well developed for, for my age compared to, you know, some girls don't start developing until they're 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do remember sort of in the changing rooms, changing for, you know, sport and things and feeling quite self-conscious about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I think I just sort of carried on, but felt awkward yeah. Um, because again, in those days, you didn't really move on to, didn't use Tampax um, initially. You know, it was very much the sort of sanitary towels. Yeah. Um, just talking about your experience as a teenager, in your book, I read about um, your nanny um, that you had who came across as a really awful person, was really yeah. quite nasty to you and your sister. Um, and 
it kind of looked like in your book you you'd and now looking back on it realize that actually that was maybe one of the moments or your experience with your nanny really contributed in some ways to your eating disorders that you that you started getting later on um, in your teens can you just talk about that a little bit if you don't mind yeah so I was my, my father was in the army and uh, we were posted out to Norway my mother wasn't um, very well at the time anyway we had a nanny who had come with us and uh, yeah, no, she was a nasty bit of work and um, she did some awful things to us. I mean, stupid things like, um, you know, she would make us, I mean, this is quite minor, but she, she would make us have our cereal with milk that had gone off and mm. she would brush my hair. I have very thick hair and she, you know, if I got any knots, I was told to be quiet and she just continued to brushing yeah. through them. Um, and she would, yeah, wake me up in the middle of the night and drag me out of my, my bed. And yeah, she was not a very nice woman. So I think, you know, as a child, you can blank it all off, can't you? You can, mm. I sort of, it went into the sort of the deepest part of my brain um, because it was the only way that I could cope, cope with it. I mean, I had yeah. to go through um, with my eating disorder therapy to sort of, um, actually find out what really what has happened my sister remembered much more than me Mm. um but yes I think you know part of the reason when I got my eating disorder um I had no idea really why what had triggered it um and it was yeah it was going back to this nanny because again she was and this is an awful and but this is how I was thinking at the time my mother was a very slim thin person so I thought well if people like you then you've got to be thin. Yeah. Um, and my nanny was the opposite. So I thought, well, you know, you're obviously horrible if you're fat and you, people like you if you're thin, which of course we know isn't true, but that's how my mind yeah. at the time was sort of, was working. Yeah. And it was that, did was it um, in your teens you started to sort of restrictive eat and, and really cut down on what you were taking in and think more about, become more kind of body conscious in that age? Yeah, because up until, um, so it was about 14, 15, so up until that point, oh my goodness, I loved my food. And I, you you know, I was probably a normal size teenager. I wasn't skinny. Mm. The normal size teenager, I was quite sporty, never thought about my body shape, actually, to be fair. And, um, and I remember sort of coming back from, everybody would tease me at school about um, sort of being, well, I suppose they called me fat. Um, and, and I remember coming back from school one term and one of my friends who was bigger than me and slightly taller than me had lost a huge amount of weight. Mm. And, uh, I mean, to the verge where she was very, very thin and, and I thought, Ooh, and so I did ask her how she did it. She said, well, I just cut down on my food. So that's what I did. I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. So I literally cut down on food. That's all I did. I, I stopped having um, second helpings. Yeah. Of everything. I still ate my puddings and yeah. did everything like that, but I didn't have second helpings. And then I found that I was still being teased about it all. So I then stopped having puddings. And, yeah. you know, I still was well, losing a bit of weight, but nothing dramatic. So at that stage, I then thought, well, now we've got to cut it down even more. And it's sort of, it happened without me sort of realizing really what was happening until it got to the stage where I was eating virtually nothing really I was living off coffee Mm. and it's so it's so I mean looking back on myself um 
as a teenager we're just so easily influenced aren't we in any kind of um like you you talked about your friend losing weight and I I'm assuming looking at at someone like that and seeing them get praise for looking you know thinner um it just influences so much doesn't it and, and makes us think about how we look especially for me getting into late teens um having having comments of like you look a bit fat or you look a bit chubby or whatever and people don't realize actually how much that can impact our mental state as young young girls um and no absolutely and and you yeah and you and you want to you know you try very hard to ignore what they're saying mm. but as, but then suddenly you know the weight starts dropping off or things start happening and suddenly you're starting to get positive comments yeah and people say, oh, you look really good. Or, oh, my goodness, Mimi, that looks fantastic. And you're thinking, oh, quite like yeah, this. That feels nice. Yeah. Yeah, which is just, yeah, very sad. Very mm, sad. But yeah. anyway, that that's, yeah, that's what happened to me. Over that time and into, um, you, you've written in your book openly about how that eating disorder went on into your 20s. Um, how, what happened with your periods over that time? Um, my periods stopped at one stage for over two years. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so at that stage, I was, uh, well, my mother tried to get me some help. But I think, again, it's one of those things, until you're willing to get help or you realize that you have a problem, because I didn't think I had a problem, really. Um, because, of course, I didn't see a thin person ever looking back at me in the mirror. I always saw a fat person looking at me. You know, it didn't mm-hmm. matter how thin I got, I still saw this fat person looking back at me in the mirror, which was, you know, just awful. Um, And it was, I do remember one day walking, I was walking in London and I caught, you know, when you sort of walk past um, some glass yes, and it's really, really clean. And I walked past and I remember catching this figure walking and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that person is so thin. Mm. She looks awful. And I realized then that person was me. Yeah. Um, and that was a bit of a shock to the system because I'd never seen myself before like that. So, yeah, that was a bit of a shock. Um, but, yes, my periods, I didn't have those for, yeah, over two years. It, I, didn't, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, actually. I just thought it was because, again, it wasn't talked about. No. And I think that's something that I really, part of this podcast is trying to raise awareness of the fact that in school, we're not told anything about, you know, your period is actually a very important kind of marker for your health. And if you're not having one, it's something to look into and speak to people about because yeah. it's it's so important, particularly we know now so much about um, bone density and, and how much it can affect that. And, you know, young girls who are starving themselves and not not um, getting the bone strength that they should do at that age and going on to have problems with their bones later on. And I feel like it's such an important topic that we're just not not really made aware of in school. Um, yet, as we've just said, that's a time when we're so impacted um, by comments about our body and, and so, you know, especially now with social media, looking at, at um, a different body shapes online and thinking, oh, we need to be thinner, or I need to look slimmer or look like this. and And we're so easily impacted um, by that yeah it's so important to know that you know if our period stops it's really something that we need to to talk about absolutely and but it never but you know again th- things have moved on slightly now which is mm. lovely because people are talking about periods and you know that sort of thing and the impact that it has on your health and you know with sports and, yeah. and things like that so 
I mean, that's fantastic. But, you know, then never occurred to me that no. actually the damage that I was doing to my body. I mean, I have actually since then, um, many years later, I did have a bone density yeah. um, scan and it was fine. Oh, but, great. you know, it, yeah. And I was very lucky to have children mm. um, because ultimately I might not have been able to have children. Yeah. So, you know, and you don't think about that when you're that age, do you? No, no, not at all, and how that might impact you later on. Yeah. Um, just talking about having children, you, again, you talked in your book about um, the pressure to kind of snap back after having children and get slim again and how that oh, yes. kind of brought, brought those eating disorders back again. How was it, um, how did you eventually kind of get them under control and, and get things um, more regulated with your, with your eating? It was really, I suppose, after the birth. So when I had my first child, I put on, oh, God, that was awful. I mean, just, just <laughs> awful. So Emma was a rather a surprise pregnancy. Yeah. And, um, and I remember going to see my doctor, and I was still taking laxatives and being sick and doing all of that at that stage. And I remember going to my doctor, who you know, knew of my eating disorder, and I pretended that I was... <laughs> asking on behalf of a friend I mean honestly I just cringe about it now um and I did say to him look you know I have this friend of mine who is pregnant and she's taking laxatives and so he said well Mimi first of all congratulations he said that's big news <laughs> and I thought oh, god does he well oh, that's so embarrassing anyway basically he said look it's not going to do any harm to the baby but if you can stop taking them and you know try and eat relatively normally yeah um then you know that that will be the best obviously the best outcome to do and I remember going home and I had two packets of laxatives they were pill form in those days mm. um in my cupboard and I, had, and I couldn't just throw them away because I knew that I would go into the bin to get them out yeah uh, so I had to flush them down the loo mm. um and it was really really hard not to be sick and I three or four times went to the shop and I bought more laxatives yeah. at the beginning of the pregnancy. And um, again, I threw them down the loo because I just couldn't. The only thing stopping me from doing all of that was the fact that I was pregnant. Because yeah. I, And I remember thinking, this isn't about me. This is about the baby. And yeah. I wanted to have a healthy baby. It wasn't fair on the baby. So I put on a lot of weight. <clears throat> and, um, and I was told that this would happen because your body... Um, suddenly goes into this you know when you you don't eat very much uh your body goes um into starvation mode so as soon yeah. as you start eating it thinks oh yuck to do <laughs> and just the weight goes on because yeah. that's your body clinging on to it thinking well just in case she does this again we're yeah. gonna cling on to this weight but eventually it regulates itself and it's it's absolutely fine but as soon as um I had Emma um yeah, that was it. I was I was straight back at it again. Um, no second thoughts. I mean, I breastfed her and that was fine. But <clears throat> yeah, no second thoughts. I went straight back onto it. And I did exactly the same for my second child. Um, I didn't mind being pregnant um, once I had the bump, you know, because yeah. to me that, that was... Um, yeah, people can then say that, that it is a pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. yeah, rather than just, oh my goodness, Mimi, you put on a lot of weight. <laughs> Um, but I think it was after my second child and, and I just thought this is ridiculous. I cannot continue for the rest of my life mm. feeling, um, like this and being like this, um, because it just, it was such, it was draining, totally yeah. and utterly draining. And it was also very hard work for my husband. I mean, he, 
poor man, he never had a plate of food to himself because I didn't have a plate of food. I'd always eat something off his plate. Oh, right. Um, yeah, imagine living like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. So it, when I, I made an appointment to see the doctor and, and I rehearsed what I was going to say, but as soon as I sat down in front of him, um, you know, when you try and speak about something that is so private and so personal, mm. um, and all I could do was to cr- was cry um, because I suddenly felt really quite disgusted and ashamed of who I had become. Yeah. Um, but he was great, absolutely fantastic. And yeah, and I then started a very long battle to get better. So yeah, I started on outpatients because I had two small children and yeah. that wasn't working. So they then said, well, you've got to be hospitalized. And, and I remember at the time, my husband who was brought into the meeting just said, well, my, my wife's not that ill. Because mm. imagine for him, quite difficult, you know, suddenly having a wife that was going to be hospitalized. Yeah. For, I don't know, a month, two months, three months. Yeah. Away from the children, away from yeah. him. Absolutely, yeah. and he was working. Um, so I had to find another way to get better. Yeah. And so that does lead us on to finding running. So what was it? Um, I obviously know, but tell the people listening, what was it that that um, got you uh, to start running and go on the treadmill for the first time? <laughs> well, now, also to remember at this stage, I was um, I had gone through recovery with my eating disorder. So yep. I was no longer sort of didn't have an eating disorder, but I had never liked the shape of my legs. I'd always wanted thinner legs. And I think that was down to the nanny, really, because she would always kick me and hit me in from the waist downwards. So I never liked my legs. And someone suggested that perhaps the best way to get um, good legs was to start running. <laughs> so that's what I did when I was 36. I went off to the gym and I stood on a treadmill and I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Because, uh, you know, you didn't have Google in those days, did you? You couldn't put no. in, how do I start running? Yeah. Um, so I literally started with a mile, which took me a long time, can I say, to build up to. Because, um, you know, I, I couldn't even run for 30 seconds at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how my story began, you know. And I remember when I got to three miles several months later, I was just so excited. And I thought, oh, that's it. I am now a runner. You know, little did I know what was going to happen in the future. But yeah. Um, and during that time, I'm, I take it you you'd got your kind of normal cycle back. You say you'd recovered from your eating disorder, yeah. And um, and you're getting kind of a normal cycle back. So when it came to normal periods and things like that, you were kind of just running, um, running around your your normal periods, and that was all fine. Yeah. No. Absolutely. My sort of periods, sort of, um, and in fact, even, I mean, I got when I got pregnant with Emma. I'm not sure how that happened. Well, I do, obviously I know how that happened, but I'm not <laughs> sure how it happened because I hadn't had a period at that stage for, as I said, up to two, you know, just yeah. over two years. So that was a bit of a miracle, really. Mm. Um, and then in between Emma and Rory, my second one, I had a brief period that probably lasted, can't even call it a period, half a day. Yeah. Um, so eventually after Rory, it then sort of came back to, to normal mm. once I... Um, did it yeah so yeah so it, I was fairly regular um my my periods tend to be quite heavy yeah um but yes yeah, so I carried on again you know you didn't if you were you know with all the, with your cycle and things now people can adapt their training because they realize that at certain points in their cycle 
they're not feeling so good so they can change their training I had no idea about any of that Mm. so I would just continue you know as normal all the way through every month yeah and so how often I mean particularly with young children so how old were your children when you started running uh Harry was six and the others were um Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 and 13. So school ages, but still, I appreciate not not easy to get out and start running when you've got three three children in school and all the things to fit around that. Um, but how would you fit it in? How would you get out and, and go for those runs? Um, it, well, it was all, I, mean, I remember initially, um, my long runs had to happen at the weekend uh, because, uh, you know, when I was training for the Marathon des Sables, I remember saying to my husband, you know, you're going to have to, look after them when I, you know, go out and do my, my long runs. So we would get up really early so that I was back at about two and, um, (laughs) did take him a bit of time to get the hang of this one. (laughs) Um, bless him. And, uh, but no, he, he was very good. So he would, um, I'd only do it for on one day during the weekend. So yeah, he would do lunch and do everything and I'd come home and we'd have Sunday lunch together and things. So that worked really well. And the other, um, runs I fitted in very much around school so I would take the children to school and then I would do a run or meet yeah. up with my friends and we'd, we'd do a run so it was very and very much had to fit in around them and I guess I mean I can appreciate this with two young children myself when it comes to then having having my period um and I and I'm trying to get out for a run at the moment at this point in my life I still just have to go there's no I can't I can't go oh I'm not really feeling good enough today there are days where I do but a lot of the time I think this is the only chance I've got to get out and get this training run in so I'm gonna do it and I'm just gonna persevere um how was that for you did you have similar things you said uh your periods were quite heavy sometimes painful was that similar for you yes I mean you know again you sort of you you get the sort of the stomach aches don't you and Mm. sore tummy and um but, but to get the training in you need to go out and do it and I think Again, sometimes we just have to say, okay, do you know it's not going to work today? Yeah. Uh, you just have to say, well, I can do it tomorrow or I can, you know, it doesn't matter if you miss a training session, mm-hmm. but it did to me. So, yeah, I would just train through it, you know, and um, perhaps take a tampax, if it was a longer run, take a, take a tampax with me and uh, hide behind a bush or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I... It. I'm interested to know from from um, female sportswomen how they practically deal with it. So for you, was it um, tampons and sanitary towels, or or I mean, I guess when you were having periods, the um, period underwear now is such a, a new thing that wasn't that wouldn't have existed. No, um, so how did you not. manage? Um, well, I literally, so in races, um, I think once, I mean, I, I was never on the pill because I'm, I'm not very good at, uh, taking my body doesn't like, mm. um, that sort of type of hormone. It just didn't work for me at all. So, um, for me, um, I, I remember sort of once, and I think it was for the, for the MDS, I, I did change my cycle. Yeah. So, so that my period didn't arrive, um, on the race. And I felt a bit, for me, I felt just a bit uncomfortable doing that. Mm. I didn't like changing my cycle around. And um, so it was the only time that I ever did it. And in races, I remember doing a race in Libya. It was a 120-mile nonstop race in Libya. So very hot. Mm. And um, and my period decided it was going to arrive um, a week early, 
Now, I always carry Tampax and things with me, always yeah. have them, just in case. But, you know, in that extreme heat, oh, it was very unpleasant. And you can't just sort of, you know, I mean, I had to bury the, the Tampax and dig a hole and, and to bury it. But mm. you just have to get on with it, yeah. you know change go behind a rock or just I mean you know usually it was just me by myself so it didn't really matter but you know you've got the sand the dirt you can't wash mm. as you stop you are covered in flies yeah um but you sort of have to just get on with it because you don't have a choice yeah really you can't not do the race you've come all that way um and it wasn't nice but I just thought well this is what happens this is what I've got to do so I just got on and did it I feel like it it adds to kind of tenacity the tenacity of women and mothers in particular I think of having to just get on with it and just carry on um and I do feel like it just adds that whole other dimension to to female athletes in that we have this whole extra thing we have to deal with and particularly in endurance events like yourself like taking part in in you know races that are not hours long but days long yeah and you're having to cope with that and I mean in some instances when you're when you're running across um Britain and you're doing the joggle um I'm not sure if you had periods at that point but you know you're going to be running for a longer longer time days and days at a time and having to just crack on and get on with it you know that it's it's potentially going to affect you over that time um I feel it's amazing (laughs) and you know just just so inspiring for other women I think as well to to understand how how you've you've had to deal with that um in these races just like everybody else I suppose yeah and it's not um I didn't, again, I suppose, you see, it wasn't anything that I, I ever particularly thought about. I just thought, well, if I'm going to be racing mm. and I happen to get my period, then I just have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and even though it's not, you know, it's like going out and doing training. Now, I know now people have a bit much more of an understanding about it, but, you know, I didn't. Mm. So I would go out and I would just take, as I said before, take a Tampax with me and I would change, put it into a bag and, you know, and I'd, I'd carry on of running I suppose I got past the stage of being embarrassed about about it because it is embarrassing you know it's a very personal thing Mm. something like that um and there are other times I think when you you put your body under huge amounts of stress doing some of these races and which is why I always used to take Tampax with me even if it was only two Uh, because you can put your body under huge amounts of stress and you can start bleeding yeah um, which has happened to me on several occasions and you know which is why I think it's now great if, if some races now have I mean I think a lot of them do at aid stations and things have sanitary yeah. product products yeah. and things for girls because you know you don't know sometimes your periods can can start slightly early because you're putting it under stress and you haven't thought about it or you haven't got the stuff because yeah. you're not expecting it so it's nice to know that at some of these races you've got you know you've got those things there to to yeah. be able to deal with it yeah yeah I agree I think it's so nice to see now when you're running an ultramarathon you go you have to stop go and use the loo at a checkpoint and there is a basket of stuff there and you know 10 10 years ago you wouldn't have seen that um and I think it's it's so just comforting for women um taking part in these races to to know that they're supported in that way and it's not I know there's an argument of like well, women should be prepared for these things but sometimes like you say you can't be you're not expecting no. it it just turns up and and you know it is gonna um affect you so oh, I think it's, it's great yeah I do I mean you know again 
back in the dark ages, it, it would never, because there were, you know, you've got more women doing um, running now, which is fantastic. So I suppose, you know, when I started, you didn't really have that many women who were doing races. So it never, it would never have occurred to people to put some Tampax and out or have them at checkpoints. It was beginning to happen um, at, at a few few races. But I think, yeah, um, you know, sometimes periods appear unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's important to, ha- to have them there. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to encourage more women to do it, it just makes their life, it's one less thing they have to panic about yeah, if the situation exactly. arises. And just moving on slightly into... Um, perimenopause and into menopause did you have symptoms um, of perimenopause when you got got to that stage and um, did that affect you um, taking part in these races yes it's funny isn't it because I didn't realize it was called perimenopause (laughs) (laughs) so because again I mean it's only really recently I mean of course I knew about the menopause and stuff but it's only really recently that it's all being talked about yeah um so yeah I did it was I was about four Five, I suppose, um, bit a bit younger, and I started um, getting night sweats. Mm. Um, I don't recall feeling any more grumpy than I would normally feel. So that that I, you know, I do, I did get a bit tetchy, so I became a bit intolerant of certain things at certain points. Um, my periods didn't change at all; so they didn't become lighter. They they stayed exactly the same. Um, but it was the night sweats that then got worse and worse, and then they um, morphed into day sweats. And I remember going to going to London for an interview and chatting to somebody about my book. And um, oh, it was just awful. It was it was summer, and mm. um, I just I suddenly had this hot flush, and I could yeah. feel my whole body just just exploding with heat and so much so that it then started dripping and um, so I just grabbed a bit of paper and started fanning myself and the guy who um, was chatting to me um, said Mimi you know are you all right do you want me to open the window and I laughed I said it's okay the window's already open I said it's just that time of my life so I said just carry on as normal and then it disappeared but that was beginning to happen more and more but again, didn't think about it. Um, mm. I mean, I presumed it was something to do with, you know, the menopause because I knew you got hot flushes. Um, but I think for me, what I found most difficult was in races, I, was, I felt quite lethargic. So the energy levels that I'd had, um, and I know I sort of put it down to age. I thought, but I'm not that old. Mm. Um, but the energy levels that I had were sort of, not quite as good as they had been and I used to get really quite painful legs oh right yeah I remember doing the um the Grand Union Canal race and just everything hurt yeah Um, and the same with the Spartathlon um, when I did it in 2013 so the second time when I actually didn't manage to finish it but and again it was all to do it was painful legs uh, which again I'd never had before, um, so and I think that was all part of my perimenopause. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm presuming it was because nothing else had changed, yeah, except for obviously the night sweats and this. But yeah, it did affect my my sport. Did it, it did it affect your confidence at all taking part in races and, and worrying that that sort of thing was going to happen? 
Well, I, the first time it happened, I thought, oh, that's a one-off. And then it happened again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then it happened again. Oh, God. Um, yeah. It didn't knock my confidence, but it just... I think my ability as a runner at that stage, I thought, well, perhaps I've just lost it. Mm. You know, perhaps I'm just not not that very good. So, or I've overdone something, which is why my legs are so sore. You know, yeah. it's just, it was a very odd, I've never had it since. You know, I don't, um, I mean, I don't run very much anymore, but I didn't have it once I'd sort of gone on to HRT and I went through the menopause. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very odd feeling and, and not nice, didn't like it, but it was the lethargy that I didn't yeah. like. I think I've personally from speaking to a few women around me and in my running club who have experienced it, they looking back now, they now that they understand what it was and what they went through, they they can appreciate it, but they say that at the time it kind of really knocked them and really made them doubt themselves and doubt like you say doubt your ability um am I getting old if I you know have I lost it a yeah. bit and really knock their confidence when it came to taking part in races and really pushing themselves and kind of I think the language that's previously be, been used about it as well where people see menopause as you know that's it now it, you know that part of your life is over and you're getting older and things are now going to start to come to an end like taking part in sport at, at um such a level um, but actually now they've come through it, they say, oh, I wish someone had just said to me, you know, it will change and think you'll, you'll find yourself again. It's just this, this period of life where things will just start to feel a bit weird. Yes, you do. You sort of, yeah, you do start doubting yourself. I mean, I um, definitely with my races um, and even the training, you know, it was really difficult training because, it, you know, I mean, I, I sleep very well. My sleep pattern hadn't changed. Well, mm. apart from waking up and having to, sort of, you know, put a towel under me because I was sweating so much um you know but nothing had really sort of changed as far as I was concerned so I couldn't understand why you know every you know not every training session but a lot of the training sessions I did again were really hard work Mm. it was a real effort to to go out and do it and you know so when you're then doing the race your you are your confidence I think in that respect is not because you think well the training was quite hard. <laughs> the race yeah. is going to be even harder. But uh, yeah, and it's you know, and I was finding having to do more walking yeah. because everything was so achy, so sore. Um, mm. Yeah, not very nice. And so we know that you did you did kind of come back through menopause and and get back to um, to racing and racing and running those long distances. I know that, um, I think it was the year that you coached me, you did the double Spartathlon, um, and you won Grand Union. And I think you did the Thames path hundred as well. And just really, you know, getting back to successful, um, getting back to successful racing. And then it was your, um, USA attempt across, uh, running across America, um, America, um, that, um, ended in injury which wasn't to do with menopause or your cycle or anything like that it was a knee injury is that right yes it was when I did the spine I think in 2000 or attempted the spine in 2013 I'd sort of um I'm I remember I'd caught my foot uh mm. between two paving slabs um you know when you you've got them on the on the spine you've got this yeah. anyway two and, and I um my knee went the wrong way 
Mm. And, you know, for three years, I continued sort of running, taping up my knee and sort of not thinking anything of it. I rehabbed it. But yeah. nobody at any stage said to me, Mimi, you know, perhaps you sort of torn your meniscus or done something. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes, I ran across America and um, I had to come to an end after 40 days. So I'd, I'd already run well over 2,000 miles. Mm. At that Still stage. an incredible achievement, I must say. I know. But, you know, when you um, you don't complete, it took me a long time. Yeah. I always try and find a positive out of a negative. And it took me a long time to find any positives in that at all because I could never go back and finish it. Um, and I was on track to break the record, you know. So anyway, mm. I didn't. Um, and it doesn't really matter now. But, uh, yeah, I had no cartilage on the outside of my knee. Mm. So I was bone on bone. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite painful. But it did kind of kickstart you moving into cycling, which I think is just amazing. Um, and then into taking part in your first triathlon. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Oh, that was hysterical. Um, te- can I just also say terrifying? <laughs> <laughs> because I'd had this fear of water again, all the way all the, you know, down to this nanny. And so yeah. I thought, right, as I can no longer run anymore, um, or not very much anyway, that if I ever go on holiday, usually, of course, I go running, don't I? Yeah. And um, I thought, well, if I can't run, um, it never occurred to me to cycle at that stage that I'm going to have to be able to swim properly so I can do some sort of, um, you know, exercise. And so I put it out there saying, right, you know, I need to learn how to, over- I want to o- learn how to do the front crawl or mm. overcome my fear of water. So this lovely guy um, at our local triathlon club said, um, sent me a message. He said, I'll teach you how to swim, Mimi. I thought, oh, God, it means I really have to do it now. So the first lesson that we had um, he said, right, come on, off you go. And I want you to show me, you know, what you could do. I went, oh, no, 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 no. So I briefly told him my um, fear of water. Mm. And, and I said, look, I can swim, but it's, it's you know, like an, I say granny, because I am a granny now, like an old woman, because I'm, I'm, but my head is firmly above the water, you know, and I'm, I'm swimming along like that, which of course is really bad for your neck and back. Isn't it? <laughs> um, but anyway, so the first lesson I had was learning how to blow bubbles in the water, which I know sounds really easy. But eventually I managed to, um, to swim four lengths. Yeah. So I think that's what, 100 metres. I could hardly breathe by the time I'd finished because, of course, I wasn't very good. Yeah. But I did it. And when I got home, my husband, bless him, had... Um, printed me out a certificate you know oh, like the kids yeah. Yeah. Um, and so from there I went and entered my first and only can I say uh triathlon which is a pool-based one mm. but for me it it was the right thing to do because th- this water thing really still you know I don't particularly like and that sitting on the edge of the pool waiting to go into the water was, oh, didn't like it at all. Mm. If anybody touched my foot, it was sort of, oh, go away, go away, go away. But I did it. And I won my category. I mean, oh, I just wow. went home. I know. I, perhaps it was only me. <laughs> I don't care. Well, I think it's so admirable for you to come from, you know, a very, very successful ultra running career and then move into something um you know, where you're then taking on a fear, not just, you know, changing and going to a different sport, but actually um, tackling that as well. And I think it would have been so easy to say, no, you know, I've had a successful running career. I don't, I don't have to swim, I, you know, I won't bother. Um, so what is it really that gave you that drive to, to take that head on? 
think it's something I'd always wanted to do. But also, I just think that, you know, there's always something else out there to do, isn't it? I mean, it, it was really tough because I absolutely loved my running. You know, that had been part of my life for over 20 years. And it was, you know, I raced all the way around the world with it. And it was absolutely fantastic. And then suddenly, it didn't exist anymore. And and I I did struggle big time because I didn't quite know where I was going to fit in. You know, yes, I was always going to be a runner, but, you know, a bit of a has-been because, well, I mean, Mimi doesn't run anymore. So, you know, I felt a bit lost. Um, so I think I needed to have something that, I don't know, I, I always like to have a sort of challenge. I can't just sit yeah. at home and just do nothing. I mean, I couldn't imagine just doing that but it it did take me an awfully long time you know when I got on a bike for the first time I entered um a race called Ride Across Britain but it's called a journey rather than a race so Land's End to John O'Groats and I you know I didn't even have a bike at that stage and uh, but I needed to have a sort of challenge but getting on that bike for the you know first few times I mean honestly why why would people want to get in and out Yeah. do you know madness I mean I fell (laughs) off the bike I didn't enjoy that I really struggled to turn right or left you know indicating uh, right or left because the bike would just wobble all over the place do you know what I actually read that maybe did maybe giggle a little bit in your book you talked about how the first few rides you would go out and you would only go a certain way so that you didn't have to put your arm out to indicate yes absolutely I went round in a very big circle (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know but it's it's silly things like that that you see people riding a bike and it lo- it looks so easy doesn't it mm, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't at all and I would think then I'd be riding my bike thinking you know I've got the hang of this I am now going so fast well you know for me and then this cyclist would go whizzing past <laughs> you on a sort of a you know sort of a formula one bike yeah and, he, and you think, I'm putting all this effort into this, and he just goes <laughs> past you, and it's so fast, you went, oh, all right then. But I do love it now. Um, yeah. I, I think it was, I think I missed, with my running, it was, you know, it, it was the people, the places, you know, it was the adventure, it, it yeah. was sort of, I had a bit of a purpose, I mean, obviously outside my family and stuff, but I had a sort of purpose that was for me. Yeah, and when that went, you know, you do wonder what you're then going to do. Yeah. Um. So the cycling has given me back my adventures. Mm. It's given me back a sort of a purpose. I've met a whole bunch of different people. I mean, you know, I follow people now, um, as well as obviously the runnings of people. But I follow people now on who ride bikes. Yeah. And there some are uh, some extraordinary women out there. Um. And I'm never going to be like that. And that doesn't bother me. I just want to carry on having um, adventures. So and it, the transition was difficult. I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I never thought that I would enjoy the cycling. But do you know something? I do. I love it. Absolutely mm. love it. Don't like getting oh, a punch. <laughs> um, so just briefly popping back to talking about body image um, again and looking back over everything you've done and now you know, going forward into, into all your cycling, how has your, your perception of your body image um, and how you feel about your body changed um, looking back and thinking about all the fantastic things that it has done? Um, and how has your taking part in endurance sport affected that, that perception? 
Well, I think one of the, um, you know, when I had my eating disorder, um, it didn't matter how thin I got, I never liked my body. You know, it, it was all, it was never right. And, you know, when I started running, I wanted to, I wanted to have the thinner legs. Don't even think about it now. And when I finally actually got my thin legs, it was after I did um, the John O'Groats Land's End World Record. Mm. And I remember standing in front of the mirror upstairs and I went to my husband and I went, oh my God, look, I have finally got my thin legs. And he said, yeah, mm. look at them, Mimi. He said, they're disgusting. <laughs> um, you know, the only reason they were thin is because I had no muscle left in them. Yeah. Um, and so I don't look at my body now in, you know, being thin or fat or, you know, I mean, we have, as women, the most extraordinary bodies. You know, look what they can do. We come in all shapes and sizes, you know, big boobs, flat chested, big hips, big legs, thin legs. You know, it doesn't matter, mm. tall, small, doesn't matter. We are quite extraordinary. And I think my body, whatever shape it is, has enabled me to do the extraordinary things that I have done. Yeah. And yeah, I'm very, very lucky. So I think it's, I think we do need to remember sometimes just how extraordinary and, and beautiful our bodies are, actually, because mm. they are pretty awesome. So we've come to the final uh, couple of questions. Um, firstly, what advice would you give to a younger you with regards to um, your menstrual cycles and sport and your body again? Um, I don't know, that's a difficult one, because I don't think, uh, for me, I didn't sort of think that it was abnormal. Do you say, the only thing yeah. I would say is, um, you know, pay attention. If, your period, if you don't have your period for a certain amount of time, I think now I would sort of say, Mimi, actually, go look at, get that sorted. Yeah. Why haven't you got your period? Um, and I would, I would look into that. Um, but there's nothing else, really, that looking back and giving advice that I would sort of change because I don't feel mm. which is probably wrong isn't it I don't know um no I don't I just yeah I mean I think definitely for me it would be you know with my eating disorder well actually why why, why have your period stopped yeah you know what you know do something about that Mimi sort it out you know look mm. into it go and see a doctor yeah. um perhaps I should have done that sooner um, but I was too caught up in everything else. But um, from the sport point of view, it hasn't really, it didn't really affect it. No, no. And so um, what advice would you give to those women who are now approaching menopause, uh, perimenopause, who might feel like um, things are changing, their bodies are changing, and they're maybe no longer capable of doing the things that they previously used to do? I, well, do what I, you know, I talk to people. You know, the lovely thing now is that there are, you can go and see um, a, a specialist nurse or a doctor who um, you, can, you can chat to them about what you're going through and how you're feeling. And there are so many different things that you can do now, whether it's going on HRT. I went on HRT, and for me, that's worked mm. fantastically well. Uh, for some women, you know, they don't want to go on that, so there are other alternatives. But don't be frightened to ask people because... Mm. Um, it's you know you have, there is help out there there are people that can understand what you're going through now ask friends have a chat to friends again it's not embarrassing to talk about 
Um, but yeah, don't don't bottle it up. Don't sort of think you're the you're there, and it's all it's normal to feel the way that you're feeling because you know or abnormal. It is totally normal. Everybody feels we've we we all go through it in a different way. Um, but if you're having symptoms that you think you don't understand and you're worried about, and it is affecting your running or your cycling, whatever it is that you're doing, go and have a chat to somebody. Um, and there'll be somebody there who can who can help you. Mm. And just because you've you've got to that stage of life, and maybe you're going through perimenopause or menopause, it doesn't mean that you can't still have incredible adventures and challenges like yourself. Oh no! Can I say it is lovely now? I mean, my period stopped literally just before my fiftieth birthday. I had no sign that it was going to stop because I was told that you know, my periods would start getting less and, and everything. And my periods are exactly the same. I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. It's taking <laughs> way too long. Yeah. Um, and I remember I had a period and then, and that was it. And I waited the next month and the next month and the next month. Well, I mean, that was 10 years ago. Absolutely mm. marvellous. It's liberating. Yeah. Um, it is in a positive way. So yeah. I think once you can get over and you've, you've managed to fine tune, I suppose, your symptoms, um, and get the support that you need. Um, it is it is quite liberating in terms of um, doing sport and stuff because of course you don't have to worry about having a period. Yeah. Because obviously we've uh, we we don't have them anymore. Um, yeah. So it, there is a positive there as well. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for speaking to me, Mimi. That's a pleasure. I have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. I'll just say. Um, that Mimi's books Beyond Impossible and Limitless are both fantastic reads I've read I'm actually halfway through Limitless um, but uh, but obviously I know what happens but um, but yeah it's a couple fantastic reads so um, they are available to buy now if anyone wants to go up and read more about Mimi and her fantastic adventures but thank you so much Mimi it's been amazing oh no thank you very much for inviting me it's been lovely Thanks for listening to the Wise Women in Sport podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please tap subscribe. You can also join our Facebook forum, the Wise Women in Sport podcast, or follow us on Instagram at Wise Women in Sport. And we'll see you next week.